Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, and welcome to the War Room podcast. I'm Jacqueline Witt, professor of strategy at the U.S. Army War College and the War Room podcast editor. Thanks so much for joining us today. This year's Army Strategy Conference, which is hosted by the Strategic Studies Institute, focuses on the challenges and opportunities of strategic and senior leadership. The War Room team is pleased to have the opportunity to bring you podcasts on these important questions in conjunction with this year's conference. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Major General Mick Ryan of the Australian Army, who is currently the commander of the Australian Defense College. He has held a variety of staff and command positions in combat and elsewhere, and he has been an outspoken observer and leader on issues of leadership, learning, and the future of warfare. So welcome to the War Room. Hi, Jackie. Thank you. Great. We're so happy that you've, you've come a long way uh, just to, to, to be with us in Carlisle for, a, for a, couple of, a couple of days. So we're really appreciative of that. I'd like to start by asking you um, about your own sort of role models, perhaps. Who are the leaders, the strategic leaders, either military or civilian, who you admire most and why? Uh, they're the ones that I've personally interacted with in the military. Um, there's been senior officers both in the Army and the Royal Australian Air Force who I've worked for when they were two stars and I was a junior officer who impressed me greatly as people who had a, a depth of understanding of our profession um, and had a passion for learning about it more than just the day-to-day that really inspired me to think in a, in a similar way. Uh, when it comes to those outside of my, my personal experience, I, I'm a... I'm a Great fan of um, uh, Grant. Uh, I think um, Ulysses Grant was an amazing individual who, through many trials and tribulations mm-hmm. as, a, as a younger uh, officer, could have thrown it all away, but came back and, and served his nation and, and did so in a way that, you know, was reverberated, you know, down through the century in the United States Army, but in this nation more generally. Uh, he was an important historical figure, but I think he's a kind of character that we can readily identify with. Um, but I also think um, someone like Ike uh, Eisenhower, who I'm also a tremendous fan of, a, a very simple uh, soldier who went on to command the greatest invasion in history and then become President of the United States. You know, they if you read their um, biographies and, and the work they wrote, Crusade in Europe for Eisenhower and the memoirs of Grant, they were also learners. They were voracious readers. Um, they were the kind of people who were never satisfied with what they knew in the current job. They always were looking at um, the broader context. And I think that's what made them great uh, commanders, uh, great strategists, and statesmen, eventually. Sure. This um, impulse towards learning, I know, is is one that, that you've talked a lot about. Um, I follow you on Twitter, and right? So that's that's been uh, sort of interesting interesting to look at. What do you what 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 would you say to younger officers or even um, sort of senior field grade officers about their own habits of learning and how they can gain this sort of wider perspective that is so valuable at the mm. strategic level? Um, first, I'd say don't put it off. Start from day one. Um, I mean, we as senior officers need to better incentivize people from day one. Uh, wanting to learn, uh, building an intellectual curiosity or an addiction to learning. 
So don't think, oh, I'll do it tomorrow or i do it next week or I'll do it in my next appointment. Never wait. Uh, get into it. Uh, Prioritise your time around learning. I know there's lots of other responsibilities as a junior leader. It's tough because you're still learning your trade in many respects. But you need to continue building your intellect because that's what's going to serve you over your career and you know beyond the military and your your responsibilities as a citizen beyond just your day-to-day responsibilities here. Sure, absolutely. And if um, could you give us some insight about that sort of time management question is so important. And it seems as a, I'm a civilian, as an outsider, it seems that the, the military is quite good at recognizing that say something like physical training has to happen all the time. You, you can't put it off. You can't do it tomorrow. No, you should go on the run today. Mm-hmm right? The technical training, whether it's with marksmanship or things like that. Why do you think it is that maybe the intellectual development gets shifted to tomorrow or that year in the schoolhouse or something like that? It is curious, isn't it? Um, We should look at our intellectual development no different to PT. Um, We do it daily. Uh, We get tested on it regularly. And that uh, partially informs our progression through the career. Um, intellectual development should be no different in my view because the more senior you get um, the less important physical training is going to be physical fitness is always important don't get me wrong but intellectual development and your intellectual capabilities the more senior you get are going to become the the dominant skills um, and being able to use them not just for intellectual outcomes but how you more effectively relate to people how you influence organizations outside yours those are skills that are improved if you continue to develop and broaden your uh, intellect. Sure. Um, how do you choose your own sort of professional development materials? How do you choose what to read? There's there's so much information out there. There's no way you can read it all. Uh, I mean, the core is our profession of arms. Um, you know, we, I, I see myself as the member of a profession, and my first responsibility is being as excellent as I possibly can be in that profession, not just the execution, but understanding the theoretical basis. So I read broadly through military history, theory, but also the future. um, And then also understanding what we do happens within a broader context of our society, of national security um, and geo-strategic issues. I read a lot about contemporary political issues, uh, strategy, geopolitics, other nations' approaches to conflict and strategic competition. Um, and then you also need to get away from that. And I love nonfiction, whether it's thrillers or science fiction. You just need to give your brain a break. But I also find nonfiction, particularly science fiction, allows me to think about the future. It kind of biases you towards the future. And it biases me towards wanting a better future. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I make that happen? And I get back to the core stuff. It's like, well, if I'm excellent at this, maybe I can help there be, help there be a better future for my country. Very good. So if we switch, um, switch gears a little bit, and I'd like for you to, to sort of think about some of the, the kernels that you've worked with. And at this point in your career, you've worked with a lot. Um, what do you think it is that separates the very best kernels or their equivalents um, from the ones who are maybe just average or or not so great? Um, I think there's a couple of traits. Um, firstly, the ones that are inquisitive about more than just the day-to-day. Secondly, uh, those who are able to influence broadly um, outside their own organisation and who understand that 
just directing a task uh, once you're at that level isn't going to be the pathway to success because you'll be working in a joint or an interagency or a coalition environment and your skills to influence will be far more profound and uh, impactful than the skills to to direct things. Um, I think also uh, when people come to you as a colonel and ask you to be a mentor, you have an obligation to say yes because it's a pretty uh, courageous thing for a junior officer to, to do, to come to a senior officer and ask for advice and mentorship, and I think that should always be an answer of yes. It's our way of paying it back to the system. Sure. When um, when you think about your own your own career, what are the things that you wish you had known uh, a little bit earlier? Um, well, I'll, I'll be quite frank. I've failed a lot in my career. Um, I started uh, my first twelve months were a great failure. I failed every single subject at our academy. <laughs> uh, I was given a second chance though, and you know I, I think what I wish I'd learned earlier was these this. Uh, a real skill of being able to put yourself in someone's shoes when you're making a decision about them. I mean, you're kind of taught that when you're doing officer training, but I think I wish I had internalised that uh, a lot better. Um, uh, I, I wish I understood better sooner about second chances and, and how profound an impact that can have on people. Uh, I'm certainly a huge believer in that. But I mean, we, we all look back on our careers and think, I wish I had known that then. I mm-hmm. wish I had been a better leader at that point in time. But that's how we learn. It's right. not learning just through being successful, learning through failure. Um, like I said, I've had a few, uh, has been a, a really good way for me to hopefully improve throughout my career. Very good. Can you maybe tell us about um, a difficult sort of strategic level issue that you have had to work through and the, the process that you um, have employed to to work through a, a really sticky problem? Uh, I, I guess I'd go back to my previous appointment in charge of TRADOC in the Australian Army. Uh, I was given a mission by our chief to revolutionise training in the Army. Um, and the reality was training wasn't the problem. We were actually pretty good at training. Um, we were pretty good at day-to-day ops. But when it came to things like PME um, and, and doctrine, we lagged a long way behind. So for me, it was about identifying a culture that needed to reform itself and to change and and lead that strategic cultural reform across our army to provide the right incentives for people to want to do PME, not be forced to do it, but for them to want to reach out and do this on their own kind of initiative. Now, I think that was sitting there anyway. Frankly, there is a new generation of young officers and young NCOs who are very demanding when it comes to having these kind of opportunities. I think that is a great thing for our institution. For me, it was about how do I nurture that? How do we provide resources? How do we ensure that um, we provide the right advocacy uh, to say as an institution, those are the behaviours that we want in our leaders, the behaviours of seeking out excellence in their profession, of constantly improving themselves, not just through a training program, but seeking out educational opportunities. So I think that that was a fairly significant strategic undertaking. I didn't do it alone. I had um, wonderful people not just working for me, but with me. I also had tremendous support from um, the senior leadership of our army. But it was pretty challenging. And, uh, you know, trying to change a culture is always different. Sure. Do you think do you think you were successful in in accomplishing the goal that you set out? 
you know, I, I always took the view from the start that uh, this was going to be a five to ten year undertaking and that I was more like an icebreaker. I was just mm-hmm. going to break the ice, solve some problems to allow people behind me to solve right. a lot more problems. Um, I think, ask me that in five years okay. and I'll be able to give you a better view. I, I think it's probably a little too early to make any kind of informed judgment on that. Well, I think this is a this is a real challenge that lots of senior leaders have, especially be- given the the short tenure of command positions of of lots of positions within military forces. Uh, you all are moving around all the time. What what kinds of things did you do to to try to ensure that the the person who followed behind you was able to to take up the the mantle, so to speak, and continue? with that strategic work? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously having a, a plan that they could follow um, and that my boss was keen for my replacement to follow. It was ensuring um, where there were change-outs of staff, there was very high-quality staff in there to support that person as well. Um, but, you know, having buy-in amongst a large range of people who thought the reforms were worthwhile to the institution, it should take on a momentum of it, uh, its own um, so my whoever my replacement was uh, will be part of that, but hopefully we generated sufficient momentum that it was almost self-sustaining. It has sort of bottom-up support as yeah. well as from the from the top down. Um, if you if you think about your again think about your sort of broad career and good days and bad days, um, can you tell us a little bit about sort of what? What has maybe been the the worst day that you've had as a strategic leader, either personally or professionally? What 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 counts as a bad day? Uh, the worst day is losing a soldier. That's always the worst day, and uh, whether it's a training accident or you know, in um, for suicide or, or or any other reason on operations, that's always the worst day, and it's it's always cause for reflection. Um, whether it's someone who worked directly for you or, or multiple layers below you, cause for reflection about, did we prepare ourselves right? Mm-hmm. Did I do my job um, as part of preparing that team, that individual for their job? What did we do wrong? What can we do better? Um, so that's always the worst day. And it causes a lot of both internal and institutional reflection on what did we get wrong? What can we do better next time? There are times on operations that that's just not possible, but in other circumstances when you're training and and, and day-to-day things, it's a really important process to go through. So the reflection, the consideration of what could be done differently, those all seem, right, those are all proactive things. Are there other things that you would recommend um, to senior leaders or or leaders at any level uh, about what, how to, how to handle bad days? Because Mm. certainly they are going to come, right? Mm. Um, And so how, how people respond to that do you have any ad- advice that you would give about dealing with the bad days? Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's an old saying, command can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be, uh, and it shouldn't be. Um, you should have a network of people that are your peers and supporters, um, even as a senior leader. There's always a peer network there that you can reach out to. And, um, you know, my advice is never go through those bad days alone. There's always someone willing, even if it's just to mm-hmm. listen, but able to provide support. Um, you have, uh, you know, in armies in particular, you have sergeants, majors who are just the most um, magnificent human beings and are just there to provide advice and support. But you have 
uh, subordinates, peers and bosses who I've always found to be on the bad days in particular, but more generally, they're there to help you be successful. Mm -hmm. And if they're to help make you successful, that's kind of the mindset you want to have about everyone else as well. Right. That sort of mutuality of being being there for each other, forming that support network, um, not letting each other retreat into right into offices and into mm. into sort of self yep. um when when the when the tough days arise um if we flip that question around what does a really good day look like for you as a senior leader um well just about every day is a good day because um when you get to sit in on a syndicate discussion at staff college or sit in the back of the room at war college is great uh, a great day is when you get to give out a commendation or, or some kind of award to recognize people um i th- my one of my favorite days last year was when we awarded the australian army instructor of the year i thought it was was fantastic they're good days they're wonderful because you're not just recognizing excellence in individuals you're incentivizing excellence in the institution as well and and saying this is really important to focus on mastery, and, mm-hmm. and it's important that we recognise those who do. Yeah. So, you know, for me, they're the best days. Yeah, the good days can signal institutional values and and um, priorities. Yes. Um, in in really positive positive ways, and start mm-hmm. making that maybe cultural cultural adjustment as well. Um, to to sort of close out, if we think about the relationship right between between Australia and, and the United States, both of them have have had a, had a long, they've got some similarities. They have a, a long history of um, lots of working together. Mm. Are there things at the strategic level that you would sort of envision or like to see um, as 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 the two countries sort of move forward in in thinking about mm. that relationship? Yeah, I mean, I think the most uh, important thing that we share is a common set of values you know um, the reason we've had this enduring relationship and I think it will be an enduring relationship in the future is we think very similar about the rights of individuals the value of democratic systems um, you know the value of free trade protecting individual rights intellectual property rights those kind of things Um, you know, and all you can do is continue to deepen the uh, personal interactions because I think as nations our values are so closely aligned that what we need to do is continue those personal interactions. I mean, I've been coming to the U.S. since I was 10 years old. Um, it's a country I have a deep respect and, and affection for um, and I've got a lot of friends here um, and nurturing uh, those friendships isn't just a personal thing. I mean, it's good for both our countries. It, it's not just an institutional uh, understanding of each other. That there's right. got to be the personal side. But those, yeah, those networks that work that operate at a, at a domestic level or institutionally yeah. will also um, have effects internationally and and even more broadly. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one of the great, sort of really valuable things about the the War College is the the presence of our international yeah. students, right, and the ability to to form a network that that goes outside of your own service or your own yep. your own branch and to, to really widen out your worldview? Well, I think out of... I, I had a School Events Warfighting class of 23, and I think I ran into every single classmate in either um, Iraq, Afghanistan, or mm-hmm. the DFAC at LUD at one point or another, or in the corridor when I was working at the Pentagon. Right. I mean, there's you build this network and this set of relationships that endure way past uh, that particular right. year. No, I'm pretty constantly amazed at how um, how big the army is, but also how 
how small it is and how many people even, and I've, I've been working for the, the Army and the Air Force for about 10 years now, and the number of people that you run into over and over and over again, and those relationships I think are deeply, deeply important. Um, so I'll give you the last word. Is there anything else you'd like to, to close or, or say? Uh, I just want to say that, uh, you know, in my current role, I see a really important part of it is being an advocate for our profession and being an advocate for allowing people to fully realise um, their expertise within that mastering the profession, in particular the intellectual domain, because it's actually not expensive to invest in professional military mm-hmm. education compared to a range of other things we do. And for very small investments, we Books get... Books and electrons are pretty right. cheap. <laughs> for small investments, we get huge returns over decades. So if I had one message for anyone, invest in PME. Invest in it as an individual. Invest in it in your units. Invest in it as an institution because it will pay off in the future. Great. Again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate your sitting down with us. I've learned a lot, and I will look forward to um, hearing more from you in the, in the future. So we're signing off for War Room. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.